Hi there. Welcome to Mushroom Hour. Today on Mushroom Hour, we have the joy of interviewing Jess Starwood. Apart from having a ridiculously cool last name, Jess is a master forager, plant-based chef, teacher, and herbalist with a master's of science degree in herbal medicine from the American College of Healthcare Sciences. She has founded her own apothecary and now teaches wild food and herbalism classes. She hosts monthly wild food tasting events featuring her latest culinary creations for from her upcoming book that's an armchair guide to the magical world of mushrooms. She forages local wild foods and herbs for several Michelin-starred restaurants in Los Angeles. And while I'm not sure if she has a Michelin star herself, you'll probably agree that she should when you see the stunning dishes that she crafts using her foraged finds. A wise woman in the ways of herbs, plants, and mushrooms, she is one of those people who is ushering in the remembrance of these ancient medicines in our collective cultural consciousness and showcasing some amazing wild food. Jess, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, well... Like we were saying before the show, I'm really happy you were able to make the time. I know you're kind of in a shift with where you are in a lot of ways. So I'm just super grateful you're able to to make the time to come on. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a big fan of your show and uh, everything you put out there on Instagram. It's, it's quite entertaining and uh, totally fun. Well, obviously the feeling's mutual. That's how I found you was on Instagram. So you know, if people want to go check out your page, it is just Jess Starwood, I believe. Uh, jstarwood.com is my website. And then uh, jess.starwood is my Instagram. Perfect. And people should go see that because the food, the pictures, all of it's amazing. Um, you have super high quality photos. Uh, my, my fiance and I are always looking at your page like, wow, those are like some really nice shots. Um, so, I, you know, we're going to talk about a lot of things, kind of how your focus or how you developed your passion around wild foods, you know, all the things that you're doing now, the future projects, books, classes, everything else. But where I want to start and where I usually start with folks is kind of the origin um, and kind of without telling your entire life story, because that can't fit into one podcast. Uh, what were some of the early influences? Did you have any family members, any influences when you were younger that kind of got you into the forest or into, into wild foods? Uh, definitely, yeah. I grew up uh, with uh, with my parents going camping. We have photos of me when I was just a baby, and we were out in the middle of nowhere in the northern Arizona forests. And uh, my dad and well, my parents just loved getting as far away from people as they possibly could, and we would disappear for weeks at a time. And um, uh, it was. It was a great way to grow up, and um, I mean, even though my parents didn't really know much about, um, you know, plant identification or what was edible or anything like that, they just had this great appreciation for the outdoors and right. for, you know, being, you know, in nature. So, um, so that I really, I guess, was ingrained in me. Um, but then my grandmother on my mom's side, she, she was, um, she knew all the plants. You could just, she knew all the names oh, wow. of the plants and she had such, um, I remember her yard and her gardens and, um, I, I didn't really have a really close connection with her, but it was, 
it was fascinating that like, wow, grandma can just spout off all these names of these, these plants just like that. And, um, and then as a kid, a little bit older, probably around seven, eight, nine, ten, um, I just, I just loved nature. It was absolutely fascinating to me. I, I was one of the ones who read that book, uh, My Side of the Mountain, and dreamed of running away to the forest and living in a tree and, you know, gathering my own food. Um, and that's basically what you do now. <laughs> yeah, a friend of mine said, uh, I think you took that a little too seriously. I'm like, well, right. I'm still waiting for my pet falcon, but, you know, I'll, I'll, I guess you've I got, a little, you've line got some somewhere. time. You've got some time. You can still find <laughs> exactly. one. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah, and then a little bit later, um, where and I spent most of my childhood, there were these empty lots in the neighborhood. And I was in the, I grew up in Phoenix, Arizona. Okay. So very different than out here in California. And right. um, so most of the year, there's not much going, you know, it's not that exciting. It's, um, well, for me, it was like, oh, it's just desert. Uh, but this magical thing would happen in the spring or the early, late winter, early spring, like right now, uh, we would get all this rain and suddenly everything was green. I'm like, wow. Wow, in Phoenix? Yes, yeah. Because I have family, I have family in Phoenix and Tempe and I've never heard of this like awesome green explosion that happens. I've never been there during that time though, so I probably haven't seen it. <laughs> it, it is short-lived, but uh, it was, I noticed it. It was something I noticed. and. Right. Uh, I remember going across the street and of course we had my brother and sister and I had built forts and played out there and of course and I brought a notebook I remember one day and I drew all of these interesting plants that are, were you know they must have been magical so I I drew pictures of them in my notebook and I didn't know what they were I didn't have any resources to go find out what they were and so I made up what they were. It's like, oh, this plant makes you invisible. This plant makes you turn into an animal or whatever, you know, as a 10 year old kid would think of. Right. Um, and then later looking back now knowing I'm like, oh, that was mallow. That was south thistle. That was um, sesimbrium. That was all these other plants that I'm like, oh, I was connecting. I had this desire to connect with these plants even though i was you know 10 years old having no idea that they would even be useful but you were keying into the differences and really interested and in already and kind of latching on organizing these things and figuring out what they were and uh, you were already kind of enthralled in the mystery of the world of plants absolutely yeah that's really interesting now uh, of reading your website i do and I referenced in the intro, you eventually got your master's degree in herbalism. So it sounds like that relationship with nature that got inculcated early, you're developing a relationship with plants really only snowballed. It's not like something that you did in childhood and then kind of fell away as you went and, you know, did something else there. But no, you actually well, just went deeper into that, it sounds like. Well, actually, I did kind of um, go away from it for a while. Okay. Um, I got my bachelor's degree in art okay. and graphic design. So 
I spent a lot of time in front of a computer in my uh, teens and um, early 20s and really kind of stepped away from all of that and nature. I was married to somebody who was not at all interested in nature, uh. like not at all. So that was an interesting just section of my life that I was disconnected. Uh, but I did learn a lot of, you know, art and creativity. And I feel like I bring that now to what I do. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, no time was wasted there. It was just a detour I had to make. And art isn't too far removed from nature. Nature was the no, original no. art. So you can see how those things intertwine. So then it was kind of after that period of where you went, I don't want to say the more traditional route, but the more kind of modern route of going computer, learning design. And so then it must have been later that you went back to school and kind of got reconnected. It was actually when I was, uh, when my first child uh, was born, I had kind of this whole awakening. It was, it was a really challenging time for me. Um, I won't go into that, but nature kind of, nature was my, um, was what brought me out of, you know, some se severe uh, postpartum depression and just lack yeah. of connection in what was happening in my life at that time. And I followed that path. I think nature can do that for a lot of people. And I told the story before where, you know, for part of my life, I, I still work in front of a computer, but there's part of my life where I felt very disconnected and very depressed. Mm -hmm. And you know, the relationship I developed with mushroom foraging, which is kind of what I do Instagram about, what my whole channel is about, um, really came along about four years ago and really kicked me out of a rut. And I seeing this more and more as kind of a general theme. So many people are who are kind of going the traditional route, doing work in an office or in front of a computer, get such a huge benefit right when they start making a connection with nature it suddenly balances you out. It is an effective therapy. It starts, and nature is a place where you can be so big and you can be like however you want to be because no one's really watching or judging you or you can think all these thoughts that even though no one can hear your thoughts, thoughts that you don't have necessarily when you're in kind of a standard environment. So it just gives you this chance to like brush off so much stuff and go through so many layers that I'm seeing more and more how therapeutic it is. And as I constantly reference, how spiritual an experience it ends up being for those of us who are really divorced from any sense of like tangible spirituality, the forest kind of provides all these things. So I'm not surprised that you ended up reconnecting with nature to kind of get through the things you needed to process. Absolutely. Yeah, it was, um, I would say it saved my life in many ways. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, it just it just went from there uh, as far as like cleaning up my diet, changing how uh, a lot of just ways I lived my life. And and then I became interested in I was very interested in herbalism. I had a little bit back when I was very uh, much younger, you know, as I was a, like preteen and that kind of like, oh, yeah, that's right. These herbs, they can they can like do stuff. They can make me <laughs> invisible. and <laughs> Right. Right. There's a little more to it. And so it just, um, you know, I was a stay at home mom. So in when I could, that was what I put my, my energy and effort into and led to a master's degree, which originally I was like, well, 
you know, I love art and I was, I will get another degree in art, but I was like, let's go herbalism and see where that leads. So, yeah. um, Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think too, that, you know, having that blend where you have some of those skills that are more kind of based in the modern world, but then having what I call culturally extant skills that are skills involved in the natural world, understanding the natural world. It's so important to have both, I think, nowadays. Um, you know, it just again, in terms of that balance, you know, you need to have some interaction with the natural world, how it works that doesn't rely on like all the modern systems that we rely on that are super tenuous and could go away. You know, it's good to have some grounded knowledge and something about nature or, or how the earth works. So just touching on spirituality, or excuse me, on herbalism and spirituality and all of it, um, but touching on herbalism, you know, that's something that I'm becoming more and more interested in. As I follow people like yourself, I see people working with herbal medicine. Um, I guess I have a, a million questions and I don't want to totally derail us, but maybe what are some of the common herbs that, you know, people might walk by every day or common herbs that people could find in the wild? Uh, see, that's that's where my, I, I really love um, uh, talking about invasive plants and okay. weeds and you know they're everywhere they're yeah. they can apply worldwide and uh especially with herbalism it's easy to get caught up in all of the exotic herbs that like ooh, this herb from south america can do this or this herb from um europe is is great for that but it's it you know i ended up at one time having hundreds of jars of herbs of all different sorts but it's like the real medicine is right outside our doorstep wow. um, yeah. not only are they you know extremely nutritious for us uh such as dandelions and nettle and um and mallow and lamb's quarter and all of these herbs that just pop up you know all the time there a lot of them can be found year round um or they're easily just growing in gardens and uh, neighborhoods and parks. Uh, they're just, they're everywhere. And there's a re- I feel like there's a reason why they have followed us wherever human populations have gone. They've, they've, um, they're here to, to nourish us. They're here to heal us, they're here to balance us. Um, even though we're calling them invasive plants and they should be gotten rid of, they should be sprayed, they should be destroyed. Right. Uh, and well, it's because we're not eating them. We're not doing what we're supposed to be doing with them, right? Instead, once you develop gonna... a relationship to eat them, you won't <laughs> want to destroy them. Exactly. You realize how much value there is to them, yeah. and um, you know, it's all about it's all about balance. And you know, we're so focused on oh, you know, I I do appreciate conservationists and environmentalists who want to preserve. Uh, native lands and they're like okay let's get rid of all of the invasive plants sure um but it's you know those methods that they use just aren't sustainable and we should just be eating them how can we find a system how can we develop a process in making those plants consumable put them through into the you know um into the rotation rather than either mowing down or, you know, cutting down this land and putting it in, in, putting in kale farms, (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> you know, whereas these plants are two to three times more nutritious than kale or spinach. Wow. You know? Wow. I think that's something interesting too that, you know, I obviously everyone lauds environmentalists and conservationists, and I get it. We want to keep the natural flora and fauna of an area, but there's something that humans do where we kind of, um, separate ourselves from nature, kind of want to referee nature when, you know, sometimes the lines between what's invasive and what plant, you know, is just migrating to that area. It's, it's almost like humans should try to work with the natural processes of what's happening and not necessarily try to say, okay, we must exterminate all these plants now because they're not supposed to be here because as of 50 years ago, they weren't. It's like natural cycles are so much longer and the forces of how these things move around are, I don't want to say infinitely complex, but much more complex as a full system than what we often conceptualize. And so I think in trying to eliminate one thing, there actually may be a reason, like you're saying, why that invasive plant has come here. There may be right. now a whole e part of the ecosystem that's developing around it. It may be filling a niche. And so I think it's really hard for humans to try to come in and play referee in that way. And I think there's a difference between preserving native flora and fauna and destroying what are seen as, and, and obviously this is a complex issue. There's varying degrees of this. You know, I, I already hear other people in my head telling me about, oh, there's this invasive beetle and there's, a, and I get it. There are some that end up being a scourge and there are, but I think, you know, in this world of plants and herbs, like you're saying, maybe there's a reason for it. And maybe there's some huge value we can derive here instead of trying to think of it in this closed kind of system where we need to extract something from it. It's like, no, maybe we can integrate it into what's, what's going on. Absolutely. And, you know, there's so many people who are suffering from uh, a lot of uh, issues that can be easily fixed just by adding more greens to your diet. You know, people are like, oh, well, what <laughs> herb can I take? Well, how about let's look at your diet? You know, plants are medicine, you know, your food is your medicine. Right. And that's where I really got into the food aspect from my herbalism. It's like, well, the real, you know, where you see real lasting results is, is through diet and those sorts of changes. Wow. That's, that's pretty, that's a, I mean, it's, it's an intuitive jump, but that's pretty uh, interesting to hear that someone who is, you were really into kind of that medicinal side of things, how the herbs work. And then you realized it's like, actually, it's about integrating some of these plants and some other things to really address the diet because yeah, that that's something, I mean, we all eat and we all eat multiple times a day. That's something you're taking far more than any medicinal supplement or tincture. Exactly. Yeah, you know, if you think about 98% of what you're putting in your body is food or, yeah. you know, or liquids. And why not make that, you know, it should be medicinal too, instead of relying, oh, well, I'm gonna pop a, a supplement once a, twice a day. You know, right. that's like, you know, yeah, it's just not going to make as much difference. And yeah, you can fine tune our, you know, your health with some herbs which are great. There's definitely, um, I've used a lot here and there and, and for myself and for people I've worked with, but, but the really the getting that foundation is, is the most important part. Yeah. Getting the diet dialed in is the foundational building block to health. And then I think it's important also to bring up, we were talking just before about herbalism as not, it's not a pill that you take to eliminate symptoms or it's not a, it's not, 
you're like, it doesn't necessarily make whatever problem you have go away. It's kind of a more subtle long-term effect. Exactly. It's we've with Western medicine, we've gotten this, this uh, skewed idea that we can just take a pill from a bottle from a, or even, you know, even if it's a tincture, this, which, you know, seems a little more um, out there and alternative, but it's still, it's right. taking a, a thing that is supposed to miraculously get rid of this issue right. where, you know, looking at it holistically, looking at the whole body system, it, it's, um, it's just the whole wrong way of, of, of health and health is, is holistic. It's the whole entire body system from, um, lifestyle, diet, spirituality, um, behaviors, all of those things, you know, and then I feel like herbs are just the fine tuners. They, they can help shift our body into a more balanced state rather than, um, that one cure-all. Right. It's about balancing the whole system. And when we talk about things like this, I don't know if you've ever heard of kind of the, the spiritual writer Gurdjieff. Uh, so Gurdjieff, I believe he's either Turkish or Armenian. Obviously, that's a huge difference. Uh, anyway, he's a, he's an, an Eastern writer, kind of mystic, and a lot of books, a lot of great information. One quote that's always stuck out to me, though, is he was talking about treating the body as a machine um, and thinking about you have to think about the whole process of what's going on. He's, and he uses the, the analogy of a machine where if you tighten something too tight in one area or you address some problem so completely focused in one area so much, it may throw off what the rest of the system does. Um, right. and, yeah, that's, and that's always what I think about. Yeah, yeah everything's connected. You, and um, a lot of times it's like, oh, I've got this rash. Well, mm. okay, but what, and they're like, well, just give me something for the rash. Uh, well, let's look at what's causing the rash. And there's an right. imbalance somewhere that has manifest, and that's just where it's manifesting. You know, there's an imbalance in in the diet. There's an, is there an allergy? Or is there a um, digestive problem? Is there uh, something else going on that is causing that? So, you know, it's treat the, treat the, the, um, the cause, not the symptom, you know? Yeah. Like take, you know, you go to the doctor, like, oh, well, we'll just give you some cortisone cream to take care of your rash and, and you'll be fine. Well, let's look at what's causing it so that we're not coming back in six months to get, you know, another refill or, you know, have it reappear again. Well, what strikes me is how individuated this is. I mean, how in-depth you probably have to go with people to start building up that base for actual health. Like, hey, I get it. You're getting these symptoms, these symptoms, these symptoms. There's probably something at the core, and I guess you've come to like at the core of your diet that might be throwing this yeah. off. Maybe some environment. Like, so I, I'd imagine it's a much more involved process that you have kind of come to when treating someone, or I don't want to say, I don't want to throw around the word treating, but when trying to help someone build a foundation for health, you've got to really like, go in deep with them. It can't just be here, take this herb, get out of, you know, or take this medicinal mushroom right. even, get out of here. Right. You know, it's like, well, hold on. We need to see how this is going to integrate what else you're doing. Right. Which, I mean, that's really kind of what drew me away from having my business was that people were just wanting to come for, give me some herbs, give me this, give me that. And, and right. 
Right. I didn't feel like I was actually helping people. And um, so I had to pull back from that. And I felt like I was contributing almost to that whole sense of, oh, just come buy my herbs, you know, come grab the latest super herb that you heard on social media. <laughs> right, right. You heard about it on a podcast. I've got it here for you. Just nine ninety nine. <laughs> You're like, wait, no, this is not what we're supposed to be doing. So right. then that makes sense why you transitioned to where you are now, which is like that real focus on wild foods, like going out yeah. and going on plant walks, going on mushroom walks and integrating these super nutritious, medicinal, powerful foods into your diet in a way that tastes good. Right. And so it's, you know, people don't learn uh, by just being told what to do. They learn right. by experience. So my, what I have found that can be really almost in a way life-changing for people is to go with them out into nature and they get to meet these amazing plants who get to develop this respect, new respect for things that they haven't, they don't, um, they haven't uh, explored before. Right. You know, a lot of people, they're like, oh, it's just this wall of green that I, I don't know, you know, one thing from another. And then uh, I see people get to know like, oh, wow, that's nettle. That's really, oh, that's so, so interesting. Or, oh, that's elderberry. It grows here. Really? Wow. I see that in the, at the store. <laughs> and, and then uh, in my events, at the end of my events, I have food that I've prepared uh, using a, a blend of organic food and uh, wild foods and, you know, showing, and they're really healthy foods. They're very um, high vibrational foods, as some folks would, would say. Uh, sure. It's all, you know, stuff that's really going to support you and help you, you know, make you feel good. It's not something that you leave and you're like, oh, that was great, but I feel like I could go take a nap. It's, you know, stuff that makes <laughs> you feel alive and, and vibrant. And you're like, wow. I just saw that plant over there. We learned about it. We learned what edible value it has, what medicinal value it has. And I just tasted it and it, it was actually really good. And so it, these experiences I feel bring together the three things I'm very passionate about, you know, spending time in nature. that's like a spiritual sense uh, side of, of health, the edible, you know, what nutrition edible side, and then also medicinal and you know what we can do when we, we are out of balance. I love that you use the word meat. I take them out to meet these plants because, uh, well, you find that when you go out, um, you know, some of the hugely transformative experiences for me have been foraging with other people who know what they're doing. That's, that's how I learned. People ask me that. That's how I learned is I went out with people who knew what they were doing. Highly recommend it. It's the fastest way to learn. And you do develop a relationship with, I don't know any other way to say it, but with like the energy or the consciousness of that certain plant or that certain mushroom, you start to learn more about it. And that, that really does ingrain the learning on a whole other level. Um, again, I, maybe it's personality thing, but like for me reading a book, great. I need to be reading that book like next to the plant while I'm outside to really get it ingrained and then be able to use that knowledge in the future. Um, because for me, like the most potent outcome of foraging is when people take that knowledge and then they're able to, you know, see the, um, see the, the herb or see that I was trying to think of one that comes to mind, see the elderberry while you're out walking around and be like, oh, I can take that grab just, even if you're not necessarily out on a nature walk, but just to 
to have the knowledge where you can start grabbing these things and integrating them into your diet in a very organic way. And that really starts enhancing your life because I do have people ask, you know, hey, you wild forage, is it enough to make a difference? Um, you know, is is this something that the word like, is it sustainable? Always throw, and that can mean a lot of things. But I mean, is it sustainable to have, to be able to find enough of these to always augment your diet? And, you know, I think the key is it is kind of an addition. You know, it'd be, I, I think in today's world, it'd be hard to wild forage your whole diet, but it is an extremely potent addition. And once you have that knowledge, you're able to, that's, I guess what I'm trying to say is that's where you're really able to, to take it to that level is when you go out and learn and are able to integrate it to kind of your, your own routines and you're able to find these things. Um, so all that being said, what are the classes that you lead? How often, what kind of people show up? Cause it sounds like, I mean, you get a lot out of that and you're able to kind of share this knowledge. So what, what is kind of the structure of the classes? Um, I do classes about at least once a month. Um, and they are, like I said, we go out for a walk. We, I'm also interested in, in people getting to know each other too, because it's, sure. um, part of, uh, uh, balanced health is, is community. And, uh, a lot of people get to know others who are, you know, why are we brought here? Why do we come to this class? Why, what has, what's our common thread? And it's interesting to build that community. And, and I, over the years of doing this, I've noticed a lot of people who stay connected who, because of this and, um, or they keep coming back for more and they meet other people. And, and I think it's great. I think, you know, we've lost that in our society is real community, real connections and which, you know, social media is great. It's building communities, but it's, we also need that in-person thing too. And so spending these couple hours together with, um, with other people who are interested in this, I think is fantastic. Um, it's really helpful and positive. Uh, so we, we go, uh, out on a trail we talk about plants and, and mushrooms, you know, I'm lucky enough to find mushrooms, um, here in Southern California, (laughs) a little dry. I'm a little bummed. We haven't had any rain. Um, but that's a whole nother, that's the beauty of being able. <laughs> that's the beauty of being able to forage plants, though, is you aren't restricted just mushroom season. That's why I want to get into it because we had a year up here as well that was pretty dry, and I was like, I need something to forage. Um, so yeah, I think that being able to do both kind of opens up your your universe of forage. Right, right. It's that um, you know the forager's mindset, yeah. and that's one of the things I teach in my classes. Is okay, like we're so used to this culture of Amazon Prime. We can have anything we want delivered <laughs> like today, end of today, wow. like anything right wow. now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm waiting for the time when it's like you just walk out your front door and they're, they're like already, you know, they've read your mind through social media and they're like, they know what you're going to order and they've got it. They're waiting for you. The drone drops um, <laughs> the package into your hands. Oh, thank you. Yeah, right. Um, but you know, adopting a forager's mindset and looking at life, not just as, not just as food, not as um, you know, going out and like, oh, I'm going to eat some wild food today. I'm going to be a forager. But more of how, how can we look at our lives? How can we look at our experience and be like, okay, 
This is what I've got to work with. Yeah, it's the middle of September in Southern California, and I have to have a, a wild food dinner of 10 courses for 17 people. What am I going to do? <laughs> and yeah, there's nothing. It's, it appears to be nothing, but right. I did it, you know? Yeah. And, and applying that to my life, like, okay, I'm going through a lot of things right now, and there's certain things that really sucks. And, but like, okay, what can I, what can I pull from this? What can I forage from these situations in my life to, to get by, to um, make it work, make things work. Um, So looking at this invisible abundance that we have at our fingertips every day, no matter what, no matter if it's a dry season, no matter if it's, uh, middle of summer and everything seems to be dead and dried or middle of winter and everything's covered in snow. There's, there's always something in our lives. And what a cool metaphor. I was just thinking of the forager's mindset, you know, either when you're out in nature and you think everything's dead and dry, but you're still finding these, you know, amazing, abundant plants or mushrooms. And then think about in your life, when you're saying applying that to your life, when you think that you're down and you're kind of buried or you're not like, you know, you're kind of like dead and dried out. And then you find those wells, those reserves inside yourself. Uh, I think that's really interesting. I think we all need to, a forager's mindset. I really like that. That's a new philosophy, the forager's mindset. Uh, So you're taking people out, helping them meet other people, helping them meet plants. Now you're foraging in Southern California. Have you, I... I tend to think of like LA, Southern California, super woke. There's a lot of people who are kind of into alternative lifestyles. There are a lot of people who may be more receptive to this information. There is in Northern California where I am as well, but relative to the to the rest of the country, I think there's like a hotbed of people that are into this information. So do you find that you get some big groups, you get people that are really interested? Um, and yeah, I guess what it, what is it like doing these kind of classes in the the LA SoCal environment? Uh, You know, I get a a wide variety of people. Uh, There's some people who are, I get a lot of herbalists, people who are going through a couple local programs that, you know, encourages wild foods and stuff. And, and they're a little more spiritual, a little more alternative and which is great. You know, it's a, uh, it's a good introduction to, um, you know, the nutritional and, and um, nutritional side of, of things. And I also get some um, like very well-to-do folks who are just out to have an experience sure. and they want to tell all their friends or their people on Instagram that, like, oh, I went out and I ate some wild food today. I was a forager or, you, you know, I mean, I don't actually have people forage during my events, but, um, it's, yeah, it, it's a wide, wide variety of people. Okay. Some are, are, um, are very, they're looking for an escape from their day to day jobs. Their you know, life on the four or five and, and, you know, the concrete jungle or whatever there it's, it's an escape and right. sometimes I think it it I don't know how they find me or how they stumble across my events but then uh, I've kind of followed them or kept in touch with a few and they're like wow that that just really opened my eyes and 
I see, I'm looking now at my life of like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Oh so. man, yeah, changing, change, oh, and I had a feeling it would be kind of an eclectic mix like that, but in my mind, LA has a lot of people who are kind of stuck in that rat race, and I feel like what you're doing could have a huge benefit to so many people down there, uh, so that, Definitely. that's why I was curious, and then another thing I thought of as we were talking that I read on your site was about sustainability in foraging, uh, so you know, this is something I've talked with a couple different foragers about, but in your mind, how can we forage sustainably? Because I want to go out now and eat all these great wild plants. Mm -hmm. Obviously, we already pick all these wild mushrooms. And sometimes people ask me, you know, how, how are you making sure that those can come back later? Aren't you harvesting too many? What steps do you take or what do you know about uh, sustainable foraging? Right. And uh, that was definitely a point I wanted to make as well. And it is a very, very important topic. You know, there's so many people in LA that if, yeah, and that's a, a fact. If everybody went out and foraged in LA, we would have nothing left. You know, right. I don't, I really don't see that actually happening. Um, a lot of, you know, there's some folks who are very passionate against foraging and they're like, I've, I've heard from them. They've, they've spoken up to me and told me, you know, how they feel. And I, I mean, I just don't see this huge decimation right. from people who are like re truly foragers, unless you're out there and you see like, well, I'm going to make a buck off of this. You know, I'm, I can go out and I can forage all this stuff and, and make a living off of it. I can see that becoming a problem. Right. Uh, especially if it's being done illegally and, you know, really, if you can have access to private property um, mm. and also looking in your own yard, your own, you know, a lot of us, we have yards that are overgrown with plants already that need to be foraged and, you know, grow your own. I talk about if you're really interested in native plants, uh, there's a lot of really great medicinal native plants. They, there's several nurseries that you can grow your own. Um, and in my classes, I really, really emphasize, you know, okay, sustain, you know, this is an issue. We have to, I, and as a teacher, it's my responsibility to teach, you know, how to go about this in a ethical and sustainable way, because while I feel like this is a good thing, it can mm -hmm. also in the wrong hands can turn into a bad thing. Right. Right. So, yes, I have foraged as, you know, as a professional forager for restaurants. And there was one that I did work with who, who wanted very large quantities of, of produce every week. And I was like, I, this, is, this is not sustainable. Wow. So you actually had to say, hey, in good conscience for like the forests that we're taking these from, I yeah. can't. I can't give you that many quantity. I was going to ask about, obviously it was kind of leading into being a professional forager and yeah. you know, the, the whole, the whole uh, life of a professional forager is still a little bit shrouded in mystery for me. I know a couple, I think they all kind of have to balance that issue you're talking about with the ability to make a living. You know, if that's something you make your living at, you only have a certain window a lot of times to pick the the culinary delights that you're going after. It's kind of hard not to go out and just say, 
and not, you know, for lack of a better word, like clear cut it, take everything that I can find to make as much money as I can. Um, so right. that's why I was wondering if there are any processes in how you harvest. Uh, well, in regards to plants, um, yeah. uh, kind of my rule of thumb is basically if I, I come across a stand of whatever it is I'm, I'm after and I'm like, okay, here is this plant. I want to make sure that it's not the only one in the, um, uh, in the, in the area, in the uh, plant community, you know, because if, if I took that, that would completely devastate its chance to. So if I find some more, okay, well here, I'll take, um, I'll find, make sure there's say 10 plants and then take maybe a 10th of what's on that plant. Say they're um, elderberries or they're, um, you know, wild cherries or something like that. So, and yeah, I feel, you know, wild food should be a small supplement of, of a, a diet anyway. You don't need lots and lots of quantity of them. Um, so, you know, people, if they're harvesting, they should be harvesting, you know, with their own personal um, needs in mind, not like, I'm just going to, you know, it's easy though. It's like, you know, you see this bush full of, right. you know, say wild cherries. And it's like, wow, these look amazing. I just want all of them. They're so tasty. Right. And it's, you know, it can be hard not to just keep going and, but, um, you know, it's, I, I might sit there under the tree, just like picking them and eating them. Like it's hard. <laughs> I, it's hard to, it's hard to stop yourself. But I think that is an important thing to recognize is that we do have to be mindful of, you know, the, the, what is essentially a limited resource, um, and really use it as a supplement. Cause like you said, they are extremely nutrient dense. So mm -hmm. I want to now kind of transition into how you're using these things in food and maybe talk about one or two that a lot of people could find that they could integrate in food. But really, I want to talk about your development or your um, uh, evolution as a chef with wild forage foods. Because it's one thing to find wild mushrooms, one thing to find wild plants. I, people ask me, well, then how do I eat it? And I'm like, I don't, I put everything on pizza. Like, I don't know. Um, so I guess what what led to your evolution as a chef? It's something you went to school for? Was it, and then um, how do you get inspired to use the wild foods you find in different dishes? You know, and, and and then maybe we talk about like some resources too for people that can help identify and find these things and and that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, I well, I really you know I've never had any formal training in. Uh, as a chef or uh, <laughs> it's, I'm all self-taught when okay. it comes to food and yeah. so I'm, I'm kind of just like oh cool it tasted good great you know that's <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I feel like I'm an artist first and I will visualize a dish in my mind and and I'm thinking about colors and textures and um, and then overlay that with flavor, you know, what kind of flavors will go together and, and then, okay, you know, what kind of wild foods would match those little elements in that dish. So, 
that's kind of how I approach it. Uh, and then I kind of make it up from there. <laughs> uh, and then, oh, well, that turned out pretty tasty. Um, so it's, it's, uh, I feel like I get pretty lucky sometimes. And, and then my photography background kind of helps make it look tasty. You know, we eat with our eyes a lot of times. And if something looks good, it's going to make it taste even better, especially when it comes to a plate full of dandelions. <laughs> That's so funny you said dandelions. I was going to ask, how could you use like dandelions in a dish? I'm just thinking of like some of the wild plants that we have in our backyard. And, you know, I want to eat them, but I, I want to know how to prepare it in a way that not only tastes great, but, you know, may not be compromising some of those great medicinal compounds found within. I guess, is that something you have to worry about sometimes when you cook wild foods and uh, even wild mushrooms, I feel like I should know this, but are, are there considerations you have to make when you're cooking these things not to lose some of those vital nutrients in there? Um, well, I did spend a considerable amount of time being um, a raw vegan. So I wow. was very much into raw food and minimally processing foods to keep them as nutritionally valuable as possible. So so I do feel like I also apply a lot of those values to what I do. And yeah, if, you know, a lot of wild foods don't have to be processed, you know, like you can't eat acorns raw. <laughs> Obviously that would, <laughs> that wouldn't work out so well, but unless you're a squirrel, unless you're a squirrel. Yes. And some days I wish, I wish I was a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, processing only as much as you need to. Um, I've seen some people who just boil things to death. I'm like, there's can't be anything worthwhile left in that, uh, except maybe some fiber, which, well, that I guess that's okay. Uh, but yes, yeah, some, some foods, wild foods do need to be cooked, uh, especially mushrooms. I, I pretty much recommend most uh, all wild mushrooms should be cooked, especially for uh, people just getting into cooking mushrooms, right. wild ones. Um, but do you do anything yeah. with um, fermentation? I see that on a lot of wild food uh, posts, you know, around Instagram. That's my my entree into wild food. Um, do you see? Do you do anything with like fermenting wild foods or doing any processing like that? I do. Um, I am good friends with um, Pascal Baudard, who is kind of the master fermenter of all things, I, I believe. Um, so, you, you picked up my reference point. Yes, that is who I follow <laughs> on Instagram. Uh, so I've learned a lot from him. And like I said, we're good friends. And um, I, I try to ferment things when I can. And, and I do understand that great benefit of eating fermented foods um right. you know especially any sort of sauerkraut or kimchi or you know getting into yogurts and and uh, it's it's great for the microbiome and and the immune system and all those so it has many benefits um i have fermented some wild mushrooms before i've fermented uh, morels and chicken of the woods lobster mushroom and chanterelles and wow. they were amazing really so, i've never i've never done it just putting it in the salt water i'm like oh, i don't know if that's gonna make it but it's really good it's uh it's really tasty yeah and 
you know, um, it's an area I want to get into more, but right. um, um, we'll see. We'll see where the year goes. And and I guess yeah. what is the the kind of what is the uh, uh, what is that push? I think we're seeing with a lot of chefs who are kind of reconnecting with forage foods. Um, I, I thought of this restaurant because I used to watch Food Network and all that, but like Noma over all the way over in Europe, I think they were big ones in like getting back to foraged foods. And, you know, I feel like I'm seeing that with a lot of local restaurants here in the North, um, in the Bay Area. And is that something you're noticing down there? Is there kind of this general push where chefs are kind of reconnecting with wild food and foraged foods like, like you are? Uh, you know, wild foods were kind of a really, were a trend like 10, 15 years ago. Okay. And, and it kind of is seeing a resurgence right now, I think. And it's, it's the unknown territory. It's the, you know, unexplored territory. These are exciting new ingredients that people can, chefs can explore and, and, do interesting things with. So um, there's a lot to be played with, you know, in a creative yeah. culinary sense. So, um, I mean, if we could figure out a way to make black mustard, the most amazing thing ever, I think, uh, which, you know, that plant is covering our hillsides and taking completely taking over. Um, if we, if some chefs could figure out something amazing with that, I think, I think we'd be onto something dealing with some of these like invasive slash weed species you're talking about. We actually need the chefs to start getting back into these kind of wild foods and like help us. Right. That's the key to the system is get these chefs on the issue of these species that might need to get pared down, whatever that might be endangering native flora. And they're going to be the key to help us eat it and get rid of it. Exactly. Absolutely. You know, it's <laughs> <laughs> for sure. I think it's a, it's a, both an environmental uh, health issue, you know, we can make a, some big changes if we go in that direction. And are you teaching people in some of your classes, are you teaching people not only how to find some of these wild plants and mushrooms, but also how to cook and prepare? Um, I'm, we do a little bit. Um, I haven't had quite the space to have a, a class in a, a kitchen yet. Sure. Um, but hopefully after uh, I finish this book that I'll be working on this year, uh, I hope to kind of go into more hands-on workshops and, and those sort of, of experiences. Um, we do, I do also some like longer extended adventure, foraging adventures. Um, like next weekend, I'm doing a weekend-long adventure in Arizona in the desert, and people are going to have hands-on. Um, we're going to be foraging on private property that uh, we have permission to, and we'll be making all of our own food. We'll be working together to uh, explore some medicines, and, um, and yeah, we're, it's, it'll be a collaborative effort, and they'll be learning, you know, how to work with these plants and ingredients and and how delicious they can be. Yeah, in a place, like you said, like Arizona, that you may think is dry and barren, there's Absolutely. actually an abundance of different plants. Now, I would imagine no mushrooms out in Arizona. 
Um, I, I don't see a whole lot down in the Phoenix area, but up in the mountains, there's, uh, there can definitely be some sound That's very out there. true. That's very true. A couple of years ago on our way to Telluride Mushroom Festival, we stopped. I had uh, I have cousins that live in Flagstaff up in the mountains there in Arizona. And the Bishop Pines there host a lot of porcini. And I, we were pleasantly surprised. And it's funny because I had never been out there since I had been into mushrooms. And it had that realization like, oh, my God, you guys have mushrooms. So, yeah, so it's interesting how um, how different regions support you know, different, uh, different wild foods, but even in areas like Phoenix that are so dry, there's, there's still plenty to go. And, and I'm also struck by, again, just the community building aspect of this for you. Like, especially on a multi-day trip, these people yeah. are going to have to be kind of friends. <laughs> You're going to have right. to get to know people. Right. Um, in November last year, I did a, a week long adventure with, uh, six people in Baja, Mexico. Wow. And, you know, there was there were several people who are like, oh, I don't know what kind of stuff you're gonna find in in Baja. It's you know, it's desert. It's, there's there's no mushrooms down there. There's nothing. And we, I mean, I we did have to supplement with other food, but we did forage uh, a lot of different edibles. We tasted a lot of very unusual plants and fruits that I had never I had never seen before. But we had an expert botanist with us, and and it was an amazing trip and the connections with those people are, I'm like, they're family now. Baja you know, tribe. We, <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. We'll be doing it again uh, uh, this coming year too. So I'm looking forward to that quite a bit. So these, you know, getting out and foraging with groups really can nurture you on like that spiritual level of getting out into nature on a community or social level, connecting with people that are interested in what you're interested in. And you're finding amazingly nutritious, you know, medicinal plants that are good for you learning how to, I, I think it really nurtures you on so many levels. And that's why I got so into foraging. And that's why I really push people to do it. And when I see folks like yourself who are really putting it into action, like really organizing groups, getting out there, exploring not only mushrooms, which I love, but not only mushrooms, but also plants, it really is um I don't want to say it's like creating a new form of society, but it's helping us bond on a different level and meeting so many needs that I can't help but think this is going to be more of the drive moving forward. You know, my partner, she always says, as things get more and more technological, it's going to require more and more people that teach us how to get back to nature. That's going to be the hard part is like teaching people who have, you know, their feet don't touch the ground, as we say. They're up in office buildings all the time. It's like you need right. to come down into nature and we're going to need more people who have that. That's going to be like the the specialized expert knowledge, not necessarily like coding and working with the computer. Now everyone knows how to do that. The expert specialized knowledge is going to be how to get back into the woods and like find edible food and reconnect with nature. Uh, so I think you're on the the cutting edge of that. And it's it's really exciting. We we hope to come down to uh, SoCal and have a chance to go forage with you. So, what are some of the future plans? Any future classes where you're going to great places like Baja? And tell us about the book. Uh, yeah. So this next weekend, um, I'll be taking a group out for uh, uh, a few days in the Sonoran Desert in Arizona, and we'll be doing medicinal. Uh, herbal projects and foraging for that. We'll be foraging for uh, all of our meals and learning, you know, what we can do with all of these foods. We'll be hiking and ex you know, just exploring the desert and all that it offers. 
Um, and then um, I'm going to be going out um, uh, journeying across the, the Western states, looking for mushrooms, photographing them for this book. I'll be writing and researching and kind of taking a little bit of uh, time off from teaching for a bit. I may still do one or two classes every month or so, but right. um, um, yeah, and then and then planning for Baja again in November. We'll take a new a new group. And, oh wow! And yeah. so people can find out more about that at jstarwood.com. Jstarwood.com has my event schedule. I try to keep that as updated as possible. Uh, you can register for events there. They do get sold out pretty quickly. Uh, so I encourage if people are interested that they should sign up. Go sign later. up. <laughs> Go sign up right now. Sign up for multiple events so you make sure you don't miss out. Um, and then the book, I, you described it to me right before as an armchair guide to mushrooms, hence my intro. Mm -hmm. uh, so is it going to be more about kind of I guess what's going to be a little bit of the flavor of the book for people is it going to involve anything with cooking and edibility or what's kind of going to be the, the focus. You said it's not an, a hardcore identification book. Right. Yeah. I can't quite tackle that at this point in my mushroom knowledge. Um, um, props to all those who, who have written those amazing ID books so far. Right. Uh, but this will be more kind of a casual, like if somebody's just interested in mushrooms, you're like, Oh, well that's, Kind of, I had no idea that these mushrooms could be medicinal or they could be so varied in what they look like. So there's going to be, it's going to be very photo heavy, um, uh, lots and lots of photos and, and some uh, profiles on different mushrooms. So going through um, like the interesting qualities of, of turkey tail and maybe some history on it and mythology of, whatever sort or uh, I'm just going through all of that in kind of the most most common or more, most interesting mushrooms uh, right so it's kind of a like maybe a gift book that you would give to somebody who's uh, just starting out in, in the world of mushrooms and hopefully lure them in so you're inoculating people with a love of mushrooms through this beautiful book, beautiful photographs. I love anything that talks about the mythology of mushrooms. I love hearing about folk tales, folk uses. Some of that yeah. stuff is the most fascinating because I think mushrooms are one of those things that as well as we think we have it codified, there's so many varying traditions. It's so much like differing information about the same mushroom that I just love hearing about that, hearing about the folk tales and, and the, the different mythologies behind it. Well, that sounds really interesting. I mean, it sounds like you have a pretty huge project cut out for you there. Putting together a book is is no small task, plus teaching classes and everything else. Uh, so as kind of some of my final questions, I am trying to ask a little bit more, not rapid fire, but some questions like what um, for cooking with, what is one of your favorite mushrooms to work with and what do you like to make with it? Oh, I know it's asking. I, people tell me that's like asking me my favorite kid, but it's not your favorite necessarily. Just one that comes to mind. What you like making with it? Um, let's see. Well, I have to share that one of my favorite things that I've done recently um, yeah. is the. I have found some. Um, a friend and I found some ginormous oyster mushroom clusters, like just oh, I love like that. the size of. 
I mean, it had to have been, I think it was 13 pounds was this one wow. that we found. Yeah. <laughs> it a was small dog. Huge. Yeah. It, yeah. <laughs> and what we did was just marinated it with all sorts of just herbs and, and um, flavors and baked it like a turkey practically. Um, I stuffed between the, the um, different uh, shelves of the, you know, the, the mushroom. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with like a kind of a stuffing, like wild rice and walnuts and wow. garlic and all that. You made, you made and, a stuffed oyster mushroom roast. I mean, yes. that's so cool. Yes. And, and we carved it up like a turkey and it just, it was beautiful on the plate. It was, um, and unusual, like we, I did it for a workshop uh, on mushrooms. I cooked it for everybody and we sat and we had, we feasted on this one oyster mushroom cluster. And uh, so I've been, I've been cooking a lot of mushrooms like that whole. Uh, like I found, um, my friend and I found a, a large um, uh, coral tooth mushroom, uh, the um, heresium. Yeah. And I marinated that and baked it whole and was, you know, and then with the roasted garlic cream sauce with it. And it was just, it was amazing. Oh my gosh. Um, I know. I, and I haven't had lunch yet. So this is getting dangerous. <laughs> uh, well, that's, that really highlights to another thing that I, I wanted to bring up and I didn't earlier about, cause I know you're plant-based and yeah. those methods of preparation highlight how great a replacement mushrooms are for meat. You know, definitely, what, yeah. That was a huge thing for me in going vegan, and I it was like a couple of years before I started really getting the mushrooms. But mushrooms like added this whole new element. Oh my gosh, this is like nature's meat. This is the real, the other meat. You know, this is the <laughs> real meat. Uh, so that's really cool. So those preparations that you can do that really that really provide that same kind of sustenance, that same kind of effect. Right, right. Yeah, and uh, and that doing that one giant oyster mushroom was with and then sharing it with everybody at the table uh brought in you know the whole community thing as well and we were just sharing this experience together of something like i've never heard of anybody stuffing an oyster mushroom and and ro roasting it whole like this but um it was it was magical that's let's do let's do more magic and then uh, yeah. along those same lines what's one of your what's one of the I guess what I want to say is what's one of the common edible plants besides dandelion? I know we've talked about dandelion. What's one of the common edible plants that people uh, could could pretty easily find? And what's something great that you make with it? Um, I'm going to say nettle, uh, which, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's so important. So um, it's medicinal. It is uh, highly nutritious. And yeah, you can make nettle pesto. I, I I have a certain friend who says that nettle pesto is so cliche and just completely overdone. But you know, any way that people can get these plants in their diet, you know, if it's yeah, if you can just make a nettle pesto, um, that's awesome. Um, I make a, a a fantastic vegan creamy nettle soup, which I have that recipe on my website, and people have raved about it uh that you know that works too i anything even 
uh, throwing some in a smoothie with, you know, whatever other oh. flavors that you enjoy. I've never heard of that. That's great. Well, and I yeah. think I think you're definitely running deep in the wild food circles when someone's like, "Oh, nettle pesto's cliche." Like, I don't think most people have never heard of that. But <laughs> but that's really cool. That I wanted to give some ideas to people because I think yeah. what you do like really makes it so approachable and practical to do foraging and integrate it. And I think recipes like, yeah, putting it in a smoothie, I think some of your recipes make it really possible to take that next step. Because I have a lot of people ask me that. It's once I find the mushroom, maybe once I find the plant, what do I do with it? And it's great to say, oh, here's something like an easy recipe. It tastes great. And it's a way to make it to make it real. And then the last question I had, what kind of lasting impact do you hope to make with with the work that you're doing, with the body of work that you've now put together? Uh, I'm hoping to uh, just shift people's mindset. It doesn't have to be huge, just a little bit, you know, any little bit helps um, by gaining a little more respect for what the earth already provides for us. We don't have to do anything extra to it. It already provides everything we need. And we feel like we have to have this control over it and we have to, squeeze out every bit of it that we think we need, but actually everything is just already there. Um, so if I can inspire, if I can shift any perspective in any way, I think, uh, I think I'm satisfied with, with my work. You're letting us kind of opening people up to appreciating the beautiful symphony that's going on all around us without needing to just listen to it, enjoy it, understand it. And, you know, I think that people who do it, you do when you take people out and show people how to forage and give people a tangible relationship with nature, it does cause a shift that makes people just care more about it. It's hard to care about something you don't have any kind of physical relationship with. And I think it's part of the huge, what you're doing is part of that huge shift where we're realizing that humans are an integral part of nature and we can work with it in a way that's really good for humankind and everything else in nature. And we're not like this separate entity that's, you know, above it or always having a negative effect on it. We're, we're part of it. And that's easier to understand when you go out and, and interact with it. Well, Absolutely. one more, one more time then Jess, where can people find you the website, the Instagram um, and all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, my website is jstarwood.com, and that will have all of my classes and information about me and what I do. And then you can find all my photography and ramblings on Instagram at uh, jess.starwood. Awesome. Well, I highly encourage people to check it out. They will definitely get inspired. And if you're in the SoCal uh, LA area, you, I, I've referred a lot of people to you who asked me, who can I find down here who knows about mushrooms? If you're down in that area and you feel like you just don't have the, the resources for foraging or whatever, just find Jess and, and get on the path. Um, but yeah, Jess, thank you so much for your time. And I really look forward to speaking with you again in the future. And I really look forward to being on one of your classes. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.